Welcome to Amplified, the Hermes podcast channel, where we discuss the key issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. I'm Amy Wilson, an engager with EOS at Federated Hermes. EOS conducts stewardship activities on behalf of pension funds and other institutional investors with over $1 trillion of assets under advice. Each year, we make thousands of voting recommendations to our clients for annual shareholder meetings around the globe, covering everything from climate change and executive pay to board diversity. This year, the season played out against the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic and government-imposed lockdowns. This prompted some companies to opt for virtual meetings. I caught up with some of our engagers to reflect on how the voting season went. We'll look at challenges and opportunities presented by virtual meetings and how we participated. We'll also talk about some of the key shareholder proposals on climate change and a shareholder resolution at Alphabet, where we acted as one of four lead filers. But first, I'll speak to Bruce Duguid, Head of Stewardship, about how we revised our voting policies ahead of the annual shareholder meeting season in light of the huge disruption some companies faced as a result of the pandemic. Bruce, can you explain some of these changes and the thinking behind them? Of course, the pandemic was the backdrop to all of our discussions with companies during the voting season, and we take an engagement-led approach to our voting. So the aim was to strike a balance between advancing our long-term engagement agenda while understanding and supporting the efforts that companies were making to manage through the pandemic. This meant that in some circumstances, we were more supportive of the re-election of those directors who we believe were critical to short-term crisis management, such as board and committee chairs, while continuing to communicate our longer-term governance concerns. You don't necessarily want to carry out major surgery to a board and remove a director during a time of crisis. However, where we had serious or urgent concerns, we opposed as normal the re-election of directors that we thought were necessary. Can you give some examples of how that played out in different areas? So on board composition, one example is Rolls-Royce, the aircraft engine maker. The company had an all-male executive committee, which we don't like to see due to lack of diversity. and We would normally recommend against re-election of the chair in those circumstances. But we did not think that this was the best year to carry out that type of change, given the upheaval at the company. And so we remained supportive while sending a firm message of the need for rapid change. However, at other companies, we did re-oppose the re-election of directors where there was a lack of diversity, for example, at AIA or Galaxy Entertainment Group or Mitsuo Financial Group. On climate change, governments around the world have recognised that we are already in a climate emergency, which is likely to deliver crises at least as severe as this pandemic in future years. So generally, we did not amend our usual approach on voting, especially where we remain concerned about the low levels of ambition following engagement, such as at Yanzhou coal mining or Apache or China Senjua Energy. However, in a few cases where companies had poor disclosure on climate change, but were able to demonstrate a reasonable prospect of positive change over the longer term, then we were able to give some reprieve if they were in evident distress and recommend four directors by exception to our policy with a clear communication of the need for change. And one example of that was the case of the airliner Lufthansa. 
Overall, there was a slight reduction in climate change shareholder resolutions across all sectors this season, although there were some high-profile successes. Can you talk us through some of these and how we contributed? Yes, the lead-up to annual shareholder meetings is a good opportunity for engagement with companies. Uh, One example is in France, oil and gas major Total issued a joint statement in collaboration with the Climate Action 100 Plus Collaborative Engagement Initiative, and we co-led the negotiations on that statement, which set out Total's ambition to get to net zero emissions by 2050. We also helped lead another collaborative engagement, seeking an alignment of BP's accounting assumptions with the goals of the Paris Agreement. We raised questions on behalf of our clients at BP's annual general meeting, asking the company to reconsider its assumptions for Paris consistent investment and for it to review its long-term oil and gas price assumptions in light of the pandemic. Following these requests, BP reduced the long-term oil and gas price assumptions in its financial statements and its accounts, incurring substantial impairments equivalent to up to 17% of its net assets. This move not only offers greater visibility to shareholders about the firm's climate-related risks, but also gives investors confidence that they can deliver on their commitments on the Paris Goals. Shareholders also stepped up their calls for banks to align their policies with the Paris Agreement goals by phasing out their financing of fossil fuels. Can you tell us about some of these resolutions? Yes, there was a significant victory for investors at JP Morgan Chase. The bank responded to pressure from shareholders and their representatives, which included ourselves at EOS, by announcing that its lead independent director would step down from his role by the end of September. He is a former CEO of ExxonMobil, the oil and gas major, and has a controversial track record on climate change. Another shareholder proposal that called on the bank to further disclose its fossil fuel lending activities attracted almost 50% support, including from ourselves, despite opposition from the JP Morgan board. Meanwhile, in Japan, Mitsuo Financial Group became the first Japanese bank to attract a climate-related shareholder resolution. This called on the bank to disclose a strategy, metrics and targets aligned with the Paris Agreement, given its continued financing of high-carbon-related sectors. We recommended supporting in line with our ongoing engagement, and although it did not pass, it received a notable 34% support, and we think this will help lead to more rapid change. Thank you, Bruce. I'm now going to bring in my colleague Roland Bosch, another engager at EOS, to talk about Barclays, where there were two climate-related resolutions. One of these was backed by the company, and the other was brought by ShareAction, a charity that advocates for responsible investment. What was the outcome, Roland? The company-backed resolution followed intensive engagement by investors and their representatives, including EOS. It passed with almost unanimous support and committed the bank to aligning all of its financing activities with the Paris Agreement to become a net zero emission bank by 2050. Share Actions resolution went further, calling for a phase out of financing for fossil fuels and utility companies that are not aligned to the Paris climate goals rather than a transition and was supported by 24% of the investor base. Given that investors have overwhelmingly supported Barclays' climate strategy and ambition, 
the next phase of the engagement will focus on holding it to account for delivering against that strategic intent. Later on this year, the bank intends to provide us with more clarity on the framework towards alignment, including more detail on metrics and targets. Due to the coronavirus, Barclays revisited its AGM arrangements and shareholders were not able to attend. This was an approach we saw at many companies during the pandemic. What were some of our initial concerns about these changes? While we were open to companies postponing meetings or converting them to virtual or hybrid meetings as an urgent measure, we said that every effort must be made to ensure shareholders could continue to exercise their rights, including asking board members questions. And how useful would you say virtual meetings were? Some positives and some negatives of this new model, I imagine. Yes, there was uh, quite a wide variation. For example, we represented one of our clients at Deutsche Bank's virtual shareholder meeting, which was delivered via a live webcast. This saw an increase in the number of questions submitted and the level of shareholder participation compared with a normal in-person meeting. The bank had to answer all the questions for legal reasons and did so over 10 hours, with the Q&A portion accounting for seven and a half hours. Unfortunately, not all the changes were positive. Large Swiss companies did not provide any mechanism for a Q&A, while Barclays held its meeting behind closed doors with no broadcast. We raised our concerns about the impact on shareholder rights with the company secretary. In the US, we were disappointed that pharmaceutical company Abfi ended its virtual meeting after less than half an hour, choosing not to address the question we had submitted on the grounds that it had run out of time. We also saw some companies choose not to read out the statements we had submitted in advance, so other stakeholders were not able to hear them. Thank you, Roland. Finally, I'm going to turn to another fellow engager, Dr. Christine Chow, to talk about the shareholder proposal that we co-filed at Alphabet, the owner of Google. We've been calling on the company to strengthen board oversight in its use of artificial intelligence for some time, haven't we? Yes, we have concerns about bias, fairness and transparency in the use of artificial intelligence, as well as public access to violent or extremist content online. Last year, we made a statement at the AGM asking Alphabet to establish a board societal risk oversight committee and to make improvements to the internal governance structure overseeing AI technologies. There has been progress in some areas, especially in the operational side, but uh, more is still needed, especially at the board level oversight. As a result, this year, we acted as one of the four lead filers of a proposal calling for the board to establish a committee to oversee human rights risks at the company, which we consider to be material and currently inadequately overseen. This is an action we collaborated on with others. Following a private letter sent to the company in November 2019, this was signed by over 80 institutional investors representing nearly 10 trillion US dollars in assets under management and advice. The letter asked for a dialogue on these issues, which was denied. And what was the outcome of the shareholder proposal? 
Well, the company's share structure meant the proposal was very unlikely to pass, with approximately 53% of the company's voting shares controlled by executives and board members. However, it received approximately 45% of the independent votes, which we considered a very positive outcome in support of our ongoing engagement. Thank you, Christine. We also had some interesting engagements with companies around human capital management against the backdrop of the pandemic. Executive pay was also under scrutiny as we felt that CEOs and boards should lead from the front in these unprecedented times and share the pain felt by other stakeholders. And finally, gender and ethnic diversity remained very high on the agenda, with renewed concerns about poor representation of ethnic minorities in business and the role that companies play in perpetuating systemic racism. You can read about all these themes in depth in our latest public engagement report. The link is at the top of this web post. I'm Amy Wilson. Thank you for listening to Amplified. Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the International Business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only, and the views, information or opinions expressed therein are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Performance should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All performance mentioned is historical. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results and investors may not recover the full amount invested.